yo, 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 welcome back to Just Talking Sports right here on UCM The Beat. My name is JT Noah, and boy, oh boy, do we have a good one for you today. We got ranked matchups in college football. The World Series is here starting tomorrow, and guess what? We got NFL still. Man, it's great, and we get to get into it. But first, I have to answer the trivia question I forgot about last week. And I'm sorry to all the fans. I know my grandpa was telling me how I forgot about it. But I'll tell you, the question was, who was the last team to go unbeaten and have a perfect season throughout the regular season and in the playoffs? Well, It was the 1972 Miami Dolphins. So there you go, 1972 Miami Dolphins. And I know some of you were probably thinking about the New England Patriots of 2007. Well, listen, they lost in the Super Bowl to the New York Giants. So there you go. And guess what? We're going to start with another one, okay? So here is the trivia question for today's show, and I'll answer it at the end, I promise. What team... In what year was the last one to beat Andy Reid out of a bye week? So what team in what year was the last one to beat Andy Reid out of a bye week? I'll give you the answer at the end of the show. Okay, folks, let's get into it. College football, man. I love it. College football is one of the best things in American sports. We have the NFL, but College football just gives you the excitement. You have the college students, the college fans, and it's just, when it's under the lights, it's awesome. But even when it's at 11 o'clock or 2 o'clock, it's electric. So let's get right into it, and let's start with number 5, Clemson, versus number 14, Syracuse. Syracuse on the road at Clemson. Clemson wins 27-21 in a close game. And man, Syracuse had Clemson on the ropes, and they just couldn't pull it off. Clemson had to score 17 points in the fourth quarter to pull this one out, folks. Will Shipley, 27 carries, 172 yards, and two TDs rushing for Clemson, while Phil Maffaw had 18 carries, 94 yards, and another touchdown for Clemson. So the rushing game was there for the Tigers, And it just felt like the Orange couldn't rally in the second half to pull this one off. They had the lead, and there was a couple calls that didn't go their way, and it just felt like the momentum switched. And Clemson took it and ran with it. And they won 27-21. And honestly, Syracuse had so many chances. Clemson had four turnovers, and Syracuse just couldn't put them away and when you don't put good teams away they're going to find a way to win those games and that's what Clemson does and did they came out they got the win it wasn't pretty and Dabo Sweeney will tell you that but a win's a win in conference play against a ranked team that's how you take them you win and you move on to the next week so Clemson survives wins 27-21 the next big game the big big game It was on Fox, number 10, Oregon, defeats number 9, UCLA, 45-30. to Listen, this game was going to be close throughout, but Oregon set the tone quick. They scored 28 in the second quarter alone, including a play where they scored a touchdown, went with an onside kick, and recovered it, and that's where it felt like the momentum was going to be with Oregon throughout the day. When you do that, you set the tone early and say, hey, we're taking these gambles, and we're going to see if it works, and it does, then you feel real good about yourself. And that's what Oregon did. They took it by the throat and ran with it. UCLA just couldn't find their momentum in the first half, and they found a little bit in the second half, but they just couldn't rally enough to take the lead or even come close enough to feel like they were going to take the lead. Bo Nix, man. Bo Nix finally had that game. Transfers from Auburn, goes to Oregon. He had a tough game against Georgia week one. But today, or Saturday, 22 of 28, 283 yards and five touchdowns. That's right, five. Big boy. Dang, that's a lot. Five touchdowns, man. You love to see it. Bucky Irving had 19 carries and 107 yards for Oregon as well. So the offense was moving for Oregon, and they slowed down UCLA just enough. Giving up 30 is is a little bit, but UCLA 
is a high-powered offense, and they've shown it this year. Oregon's offense has been high-powered. So when you hold a high-powered team to 30, you feel real good. Just like when the Chiefs played the Bills and they held them to 24, you feel good. Even though the Chiefs didn't win, it shows their defense can't play. So all it is is like, okay, we held them to 30 as an Oregon team, and we won by 15. You're feeling really good. So that's how it is. It's a momentum builder. You want to bring it in. It's small steps. That's all you got to work with. Now moving on to another game. Man, 11, Oklahoma State beats number 20, Texas. Mm, I always fall for Texas, man. Oklahoma State wins 41-34. Oklahoma State Got the first lead of the game since the first quarter with three minutes and nine seconds left in the game. They got the they got the lead with nine minutes in the first quarter, lost it, and never regained it until three minutes left in the fourth quarter and in the game. So last week, Oklahoma State let up the game and lost. This week, they had to rally and come back and win. So it was a flip of what happened last week, and they pulled it off. Last week, TCU showed them, oh, we can play and come back and win. And Oklahoma State this week goes, okay, we'll do what TCU did. It's not as extreme, but we're going to come back and win as well. Spencer Sanders for Oklahoma State, 34-57, 391 yards, two TDs, and an interception. Bryson Green, five receptions, 133 yards, and a TD. So Green was Sanders' go-to target. Texas couldn't figure that out and couldn't slow him down. Only five receptions, 133 yards. He was getting those big plays, and it came at big times. Quinn Ewers had was 19 of 49, 319 yards, two touchdowns, but the big key, three interceptions right there. The Longhorns couldn't overcome the turnovers it was just like that it was the turnovers and then the biggest key of this listen the total yardage was oklahoma state had 535 and texas had 523 so it's pretty even and the score was pretty even it's 41 34 oklahoma state wins but the big separation in this game was penalties folks texas had 14 for 119 yards Oklahoma State had none. Zero penalties on them whatsoever. And listen, I know Mike Gundy has a really good coaching and he knows how to do the coaching. But I also want to think maybe the hometown team got a little bit of let me go. Oh, we ain't going to call holding here a little bit. Because you know there's always going to be one or two calls that could have gone against the Cowboys, but didn't. That's all I'm going to say. Now, listen, you have to be disciplined, and the Cowboys are disciplined. Texas has got to learn to be disciplined. So that's what I mean. You have the three interceptions, these penalties, which on top of 119 yards isn't even converting how many yards you lost after a big game. You could gain 25 yards on the play but have to go back 10 for a holding. So you gain 25 on first and 10, but now you're set up with first and 20. That's not how it works, folks. you got to work with it. So the 119 yards may say something, but it's just not right there. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So 119 yards isn't the whole story. The whole story is the Cowboys got zero. They didn't lose yards on penalties, and they didn't give up yards because of penalties, unlike Texas. So that's where I think the key was in this game was the penalties. And it should be a proven point to be disciplined. 114, 119 yards compared to zero is a whole lot of yards given up. So that's all I'm going to say. Now let's move on to something that I've been thinking about. So last week we talked about the SEC. SEC, great conference, the best conference in Power 5 when it comes to football, hands down. I don't care what people say. And we talked about how there could be three teams in for the SEC. Well, let's move on and talk about the Big Ten. Can Ohio State and Michigan both get in? And I've been thinking about it, and I've done some, you know, the research 
And we all know the big game is at the end of the regular season when it's Ohio State at Mich- oh, it's Michigan at Ohio State this year. And remember, last year, Michigan did beat Ohio State, got into the playoffs because they then went on to win the Big Ten championship. So let's talk, how can both teams get in? Well, it's, it's first off, we got to, we, as if I'm talking as I'm a Big Ten fan, they have to hope that there's multiple losses coming in the SEC. So how we talked last week, how one loss for Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama happens, they all three could get in. These two teams, Michigan and Ohio State, are hoping that only one of them just wins out. So Tennessee beats Georgia and then they beat Alabama again. Then it's only possibly Tennessee getting in. But that's what they're hoping for. But they also got to hope they win out. Ohio State plays Penn State this week. Michigan has Michigan State. I know Michigan State's not been good this season, but you know it's going to be a competitive game. It's a rivalry. It's going to happen. So that's where it's coming. They both have to be undefeated going into the big game. Then one of them obviously is going to win. That team that wins goes to the Big Ten Championship. The winner has to win the Big Ten Championship. So if the winner, then the winner of the big game in the Big Ten Championship is a lock. He's That team is in. So you have the one team already in because they won the Big Ten. They're undefeated. Cool. I'm going to pick. I'm going to say it's Ohio State because that's who I believe it will be. So Ohio State goes in. Another key factor is Michigan, since they're going to lose to Ohio State, has to play them tight. Has to play them well, play them tight. So Michigan loses by, say, seven or less. We're going to say seven or less. That's their span. That's the gap they have. They have to lose no more than seven points to Ohio State. Okay, so that happens. Move on. So now Michigan doesn't control their own destiny to get in the playoffs. So Tennessee goes to Georgia. Georgia loses. So Tennessee is still undefeated. Now they're ranked number one, more than likely. Tennessee's ranked number one, headed to the SEC championship. They play Alabama again. They beat Alabama. So they're undefeated. They're in. That's a lock. So now we have two locks. We have Ohio State and we have Tennessee. Both teams undefeated. Congrats. Cool. All right. Now we got to move on. We right now think it's around Clemson. Clemson gets in. They they win the ACC. Congrats. They're in. So that leaves the one spot. TCU is the key, folks. TCU has to lose. They're undefeated. I don't know if you all know that. They're undefeated. They have to lose. So they're done. Get them out. Big 12, you don't get in. Cool. Pac-12, done. Get out. They lost. They have a two-loss conference championship. Cool. They're done. Okay. Leaves Alabama, Georgia, Michigan. Here's where it comes down. What will the committee do right there? With those three teams that are in this square fighting for one spot, who do they give it to? I bet they give it to Georgia. So then Georgia's in, Michigan's out. So then you have to hope, if you're a Michigan fan, that Georgia loses again somewhere. They have to lose two times. I don't know if it'll happen, but I'm saying if it comes down to it, it's one loss Georgia versus one loss Michigan. They're going to give it to Georgia. Georgia plays the tougher conference. They play all this. They'll give it to Georgia. Georgia will get the four, which means then they'll probably put Ohio State at the one so Tennessee doesn't play Georgia again. So then you'll get Tennessee at the two. You'll get the three, which will be Clemson. So you'll get Clemson versus Tennessee, and you'll get Georgia versus Ohio State. So Michigan's got to hope Georgia loses twice because I don't think the committee will put them in, put Michigan over Georgia. Wow. If Tennessee wins out, they're in. Congrats. Tennessee's in. Ohio State's in. Those two teams are undefeated. They're in. Okay. Say Georgia beats Tennessee. Okay. Tennessee's the one loss. They don't get to play in the conference championship against the SEC. Georgia then beats Alabama. Alabama's two loss. So now you have Tennessee versus Michigan. So it's going to be something where Michigan doesn't control their own destiny. No matter who loses in the big game, Ohio State or Michigan, they won't control their own destiny. And they'll be praying for chaos to happen to get in. Because you're going to have to fight against Georgia. 
Tennessee, or Alabama. One of those teams that will be one loss to get in to the playoffs. So that's where it's going to be tough. And then it's going to get real tough because Tennessee, if they lose to Georgia, doesn't play in the SEC championship. So then you have these two teams, Tennessee and Michigan, who don't play in their championship conference game because they didn't make it because of these divisions. Then who will they take? I still think that they take Tennessee. They take Tennessee because of the tougher conference and the tougher play. You got to remember, Tennessee's beat Alabama. I know it was at home. And it's also going to depend on if they lose to Georgia, how close was it in Athens? I think Tennessee has the chance of beating Georgia in Athens. But it's going to come down to what does the committee see in each team. And it's going to take a a thorough, deep dive into each team when it comes down to that. So whoever loses in the big game, Ohio State to Michigan, whoever loses that game, Ohio State or Michigan, they will not control their own destiny. The team that wins does. Win the Big Ten championship you're in. The loser, you're just praying for chaos. And I don't know if it'll happen, but it'd be crazy if it did. So my four teams, if I had to pick right now, that are going to get in, Tennessee, Ohio State, Clemson, and Georgia. Those are my four teams. So you're saying, you're telling me, JT, yeah, I'm talking like that. You are telling me, JT, that two teams from the SEC East are going to get in and no West? Yes. Tennessee and Georgia right now are the two best teams in the SEC, and they're in the SEC East. That's all I'm going to say. That's how it's going to go. So Tennessee, Georgia, Ohio State, and Clemson are my four teams as of right now that will get into the college football playoffs at the end of the year. All right, folks, that's my blabber. We're going to move on after these quick messages to the World Series. It starts tomorrow. It's going to be fun. High flying. Stick right here on UCM The Beat. Listening to Just Talking Sports with me right after this. We'll be right back, folks. I can't believe he found them. He seems sorry. We very clearly told him not to look up there. I'm honestly impressed that he was able to do it. Right? What did he balance on that big chair? Or- yeah, I mean... I guess he'll just know what his gifts are this year. I really thought we had hidden them well. If they can find their presence, they can find a gun. 911, what is your emergency? Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and N Family Fire. Only in the forest can you see this. And this. And this. But nothing beats the moment you see that. Cool! That's your child's eyes opening up to a world of possibilities. I didn't know it could do that! Because one trip to the forest can spark a world of difference. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go, like hiking, canoeing, fishing, or camping. Or... Create your own adventure with family and friends, and you might just see this. Your moment's out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. That's discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Yo, 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 welcome back to Just Talking Sports right here on UCM The Beat. Now, let's swing our bats into the big series, World Series in the MLB. And the stage is set. Houston Astros versus the Philadelphia Phillies. Who would have thought the Phillies would have been there? Not the Dodgers and not the Braves, the Phillies. So, let's take a deep dive into this series, shall we? Alright, well first off, Houston has played seven games in the postseason, hasn't lost one yet. They have not lost a game. They swept the Mariners, and then they swept the Yankees. Okay, well, the Phillies, they haven't won every game, but they've only lost two. They're 8-2 and two in the 10 games they've played. Remember, they won the first two in the wildcard series against the Cardinals, and then they lost one to the Braves, and then won all of them to move on. And then, don't forget... 
Do not forget. They did beat the Padres. They gave up one game to the Padres, and then they won the rest. So, they've only lost two games in the postseason, while the Astros haven't lost a single game in the playoffs. But, here's the big but, folks. It's crazy to think this, but Houston is the all-around best team in baseball, especially from the AL. It was the Dodgers in the NL. But the best team that was silicated and matched together always had been Houston. They were just overlooked because of the cheating scandals that have have happened and because of the Yankees and all the Yankees in the Bronx. You had the Dodgers who are that team. You also had the Padres making moves. The Houston Astros have actually flown under the radar just a little bit, and they've got here. I'm telling you, this fil- this Houston team can be and is dangerous, and they will be dangerous for a while, folks. I know the cheating scandal has everyone still but hurt, but get over it. It's new. We're moving on, and honestly, even though I live in Kansas City, And you can say Houston cheated, Houston did this. I honestly want Houston to win just because I feel then they have this dark cloud go away that's over them because of the cheating. Most of the players on this team did not participate in the cheating. And if you want to talk about cheating, most of all teams in the MLB do cheat, folks. It's just getting caught. Just like when you lie, are you going to get caught? Then it's not worth it. So that's what I'm saying. I've stole before. I stole in middle school, folks, and I didn't get caught until about the eighth time. I shouldn't be telling you this on the radar or on the radio, but it was at school, folks. It was a Rice Krispie treat, double chocolate chip. I really wanted it and I didn't have the money. So I just usually put it in my pocket and left. I got caught once, and I never did it again. So that's what Houston is doing. You got to give them a... I wouldn't say give them a break because they did win the World Series, but we got to move on from it. Okay, enough of that spiel. Let's talk about this pitching depth that Houston has. I get it. Justin Verlander's ERA isn't beautiful, but he's still Justin Verlander. He's not going to throw 98-mile-per-hour fastball. He's going to locate and use his breaking ball to decept batters. Now, Valdez, on the other hand, is pitching lights out. He has a 1.42 ERA. That is insane, folks. He started two games and has a 1.42 ERA. Insane. Now, you move on to the relieving in the bullpen, it gets better. Brian Abreu has pitched 6.6, excuse me, not 6.6 in one-third innings and has given up zero runs. You move on to Presley, he's pitched five in one-third and given up zero runs as well. So this bullpen is insane. And to even go deeper, let's go deeper into the Houston's bullpen as a whole. All right, 33 innings pitched. Their ERA is 0.82. They're not even averaging a run. Their whip is 0.73. They've got 42 strikeouts. And the batting average average is 127, folks. It is 127. That is the batting average for batters against this bullpen. It's not good. The batting average is key. The ERA is huge. This team, bullpen-wise, is stellar. And that's going to be the key for the Phillies. Can they get to the starters, like Justin Verlander, can they get to him before this bullpen gets into the game and takes it over? Now, let's move on to the Phillies. The Phillies' stars are hot. And you're like, what do you mean they're hot? Bryce Harper hot. That's how hot Bryce Harper is. He is on fire he's like the sun right now folks dude is batting 419 he has five home runs and he hit probably the most clutch biggest home run in his life in the last game that he played hitting a two-run 
home run that was the go-ahead home run in the bottom of the eighth inning, which then was the winning run in the game that moved him to the World Series. So Bryce Harper is scorching hot. Real Muto, JT Real Muto, yeah, I know, I know, I had to say it, JT, JT, it's a clash, I'm just saying, but he is batting 244, he's batting 244, sure, he hasn't hit five home runs, but he is a key, he plays good defense, and he has a great bat, he's a great com- competitor at catcher, and then the last one, Reese Hoskins, his ERA, excuse me, ERA, his batting average is not that good but he's hit five home runs and they've been more clutch home runs too he also has probably the best bat spike ever I mean it might be the only one but it is the best one so I like what the Phillies are doing their stars are hot they are going up against Houston so what are the keys to the series you may ask well let me tell you folks the keys to the series it's it's going to be who gets to the pitching first and what I mean by pitching I mean the starters can the Phillies get to Justin Verlander can they get to Valdez can they get to to these players before that bullpen for Houston comes in because like I just said that Houston bullpen is on a mission and they're not giving up much runs so can the Phillies get to the starting pitching or will they fumble and fumble and fumble and not figure it out they got to get to the starting pitching and it's the same it's these matchups that's going to happen you got Justin Verlander versus Aaron Nola the Phillies said Nola is going to start game one Justin Verlander is going to start tomorrow as well so it's going to be Verlander versus Nola then you're going to get Wheeler for the Phillies against Valdez can who will be the one that stays in longest who's the one who's gonna give up the runs will verlander give up runs and have to claw their way back in it will the astros that's the key because as much as we want to talk about it verlander gave up plenty of runs in that first matchup against the seattle mariners he was lucky that the Houston Astros built back into the game and then we know the rest Jordan does Jordan. can this team for Houston, that's starting pitching, Justin Verlander primarily, stay in this game and compete and, and make it a tie game or even just a one-run game. Because I think, I think if the Phillies have a two or more lead, they're going to feel real comfortable and they have the bullpen for it. But when it's a one-run game, that's when it's going to go a little shaky for the Phillies. Now, on the other hand... The Astros are going to be totally fine with a one-run game because they have that bullpen. They have that. They have Montero. They have Presley. They have Abreu. See, the Phillies, they don't have that. They have they have Dominguez. They have Robinson. But those guys can give up runs, and it's scary. Now, like I've said, with Houston, they don't give up those runs. So it'll be key for the Phillies to get to the starting pitching before Houston gets to the bullpen, folks. That's all I'm going to say. They have to get to the starting pitching before the bullpen. Now, let's move on to some keys, key players to this matchup. Let's start with the Houston Astros. The one key player that I see, and it could be, it has to be. He wasn't the MVP. Many people thought he would be the MVP in the ALCS, and he wasn't. I'm going with Bregman. Alex Bregman, the third baseman. He's the key for this team. He bats around second or third. Can he keep it going? Can he just put the ball in play? Make the defense make a play? Because that defense, especially on the left side of the field, is very shaky for the Philadelphia Phillies. Can Bregman put the ball in play? Will they use the short porch in Minute Maid Park on the left side? That's the thing. Alex Bregman is like the motor. He keeps the moving. He likes to move it, move it, you know? Move it, move it. So can he keep the line moving? He always comes through with clutch hits. Now, for the Phillies, I'm just going to keep it simple. I know it's boring, but I'm going to keep it simple. Simple. 
Bryce Harper. It's Bryce Harper. That's the key player. Bryce Harper is the Philadelphia Phillies. He brings the mojo. He brings everything to this team. Defense. He doesn't play much of that anymore. He's more of the DH thanks to the NL taking away the pitchers hitting so he's the dh but he just he gets that dugout going he'll keep the dugout in the game when they're down and he always finds a way to make a clutch hit no matter if it's in the sixth the seventh the first the third he will find a way to make a clutch hit and it'll provide pivotal momentum or something that'll get the phillies feeling good throughout the game he's the key for the philadelphia phillies now, some players that I think need to step up. There's two players that need to step up. And for Houston, it's obvious. It's Jose Altuve. Jose Altuve has done nothing much. He's not even batting over 100. He's batting. It's so bad. He's not batting good. He's got some good defense, but he's never been true to his defense. If Houston wants to win this World Series, I know it's crazy because... They do have enough around him to win still, but they are playing the Phillies who are hot. They've got to find a way to help him. Jose Altuve has to get going. He needs to find his swing. He needs to put the ball in play, whether that's a bunt, whether that's a slap hit. He just has to find the grass. He has to get on base. Maybe take a walk, maybe take two. But we've got to get Jose Altuve going if you're the Houston Astros. Because as much as you've worked and have won without him, there's going to be a time sooner than later you're going to need him to win a game in this World Series. Now let's go to the Phillies. I'm going Nick Castellanos. Nick Castellanos, he's a good ball player. And just like Jose Altuve, he hasn't found it in the postseason yet. He's hit a couple home runs, but he has to find it. Nick Castellanos can kill the baseball when he hits it. So, I don't know what it is, but he has to find his swing. He has to start hitting the ball more consistently. I get it. It's hard. It's the postseason. It's a bit different. The, the, the stage is set. All the cameras are on you. All the eyes are on you. But, Nick, you got to find something. Like, come on, man. Let's do it. You and Bre- uh, you and Altuve haven't done much for the, their, their teams. Can you do it? Can you do it? And if I'm asking myself, which one do I think about and which one do I think I trust the most in a key situation, I'm going to say Jose Altuve. Just because as much as his batting average is terrible in the postseason, he's done it before, he's been here before, and also he's more of the contact hitter than Nick is. Castellanos is more of a power hitter, and he's really good, really good against lefties. Can can this team for the Phillies figure a way to get Castellanos going? Listen, you have Hoskins, you have Romuto, you have Harper, you have these players. Can he figure it out? He's in the outfield. I know you can hide him because of his bad defense, but he can't do anything at the plate right now. Can he get it going? That's the key. That's the team. That's a player. That's that. That's how you got to get going. You have to have these two step up in the biggest stage. And I'm putting my money, Jose Altuve is going to step up in the World Series. So, now, let's see what these pitchers got going for you. I got two pitchers that I think are key. Like, these are key pieces. They're both bullpen pitchers, and they're both not the closer necessarily. Phillies have a closer by committee. Now, the Houston Astros have Presley as their primary closer. But these two pitchers... I think are huge competitors and they know how to make the perfect pitch when it counts. Let's start with Rafael Montero. Rafael Montero, you're probably like, whoa, who's he? He's on the Houston Astros. His ERA is 1.69. 1.69. He is playing great. He has a lively fastball and his slider makes the greatest dip dive you'll ever see that he's been pitching phenomenal. He's come into tough situations and gone out of it. He has given up a run, but the key to this 
is he's pitching in clutch moments because he's like the setup man for Presley. He'll come in and get four to five outs before Presley comes in for the ninth. So he's the one that sets up Presley. He's the one that's supposed to keep the lead. And he's done his part. And will he keep doing it with the red hot Phillies coming to town in the World Series? We're going to find out. But I like Montero a lot. The other one. Dominguez, this man Dominguez, he pitches really well. He's got a 1.17 ERA. Can he keep it up? See, his biggest problem is control. He doesn't have really good control. And when he doesn't have real good control, it gets bad, folks. He'll walk batters left and right. And that's the problem. You have to have control coming in from the bullpen. And so that's the problem. Will the stage get to him? He has to have really good control. His changeup, his slider, he has to have it. It's Sir Anthony Dominguez. Can he do it? He has to have control because when he has control, he's on. He'll he'll pinpoint the fastball and then he'll throw that changeup in the dirt. Can he pinpoint the fastball to set up his changeup? And like I said, these two are mostly the setup men for the closer. And that's why they're very important to their team. Because they're going to come into those high-volume situations right before the closer. And they might have to come in in the middle of an inning with second and third, one out. What are you going to do? Can you get out of it? You need a strikeout. Can you do it? Bases loaded, one out. Can you get the ground ball, double play, or a pop fly? Can you keep the lead in high situations that are going to matter crucially in this series? And I think these are the two that both managers are going to rely on when it comes to those points. Now, for my prediction for this series, it's hard. It's tough. You have the Red Hot Phillies, the wild card team, who has looked really good since the playoffs started. They they were stumbling their way in, and they got in. Now, can they contain it? Or will Houston, the team that was the one seed in the AL, who's looked really good, hasn't lost, can they sweep the Phillies? I will say one thing. It will not be a sweep. I do not see a sweep happening in the World Series. The Phillies are too high. They're too good. They have those stars that they will not allow a sweep in the World Series to happen. I will say this. I'm taking the Houston Astros in six games. I just think those bats right now for Houston, Bregman, Pereira, you just name it, you've got McCormick it's just like those bats are playing well that bullpen is phenomenal I just think Houston right now is on a mission to win the World Series this year and it's not going to end until they have those rings and they're hosting the trophy at the end of this season I do think the Phillies are going to put up a fight and like I said Houston wins in six folks all right let's move on to the NFL but first we gotta take a break I'm sorry but when we come back we are throwing dots scoring touchdowns in the NFL right here on Just Talking Sports on UCM The Beat Hey y'all I'm Blake Shelton I love that country music connects people all over this great nation but unfortunately so does something else childhood hunger 15 million children struggle with hunger in America. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks works to rescue our surplus food to help provide billions of meals to families in need across the country. Join the fight against hunger at feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. People been saying to your friend, get a different face. Posting on their feed, they're super ugly. The things they 
Know someone who's being bullied online? Send the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. You'll let the world know it isn't cool and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more about the witness emoji at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to Just Talking Sports right here on UCM The Beat. We're into the NFL, folks. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a wild ride. But let's get right into it, starting with last week's Thursday night football game. And, folks, there was scoring, and there was multiple scoring touchdowns, back-to-back touchdowns, back-to-back pick sixes so wow amazon prime finally got a good game since week two round of applause for them folks let's do it there you go i'm happy for you amazon prime al michaels kirk herb street on the call like usual the cardinals of arizona defeat the new orleans saints 42 to 34 i'm telling you man you haven't seen scoring like that in a while on thursday night but Andy Dalton throws back-to-back pick sixes in late-down second-quarter situations. You hate to see it. One of those pick sixes was by Kansas City native Isaiah Simmons. Went to Clemson, now with the Arizona Cardinals. He's a captain. Started out as a safety. Now he plays more like a hybrid linebacker. Gets the second pick six of Andy Dalton. And it just felt like that's when the games flipped. It was just like, oh, Arizona's here. We're going to take off. Andy Dalton finished with four touchdowns, but also three interceptions. So not very good for Andy Dalton. Also, the big news was the second quarter. Like I said, back-to-back pick sixes by the Arizona Cardinals off Andy Dalton. They also scored 25 points in that quarter, let alone. So it was the second quarter that prevailed and helped these Arizona Cardinals take off and win this game 42-34 to over the Saints. So now we move on to Sunday. To me, there was not a very good noon slate of games. Sure, you had the Buccaneers losing and the Packers losing, but I'll get into that in a minute. So, we're going to skip the noon slate, and let's move to the 3 p.m. slate. And obviously, we're going to start with the Kansas City Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs defeat the San Francisco 49ers in the Bay 44-23. And this, before I get into any stats, was the very first game all season the Chiefs played an all-around football game besides, I will say, besides the special teams, which I'm not concerned about the special teams as much as people should think I should be, excuse me. But it was a complete game by the Kansas City Chiefs after the first drive. The first drive ended in an interception. Patrick Mahomes made a horrible read, and I will say that. It was a horrible read. Trying to force it to sky more, it was tipped, and what do you know when tips happen in the middle of the field? They're intercepted. So, Patrick Mahomes does end the day with an interception, but not all things start like that. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Listen, Patrick Mahomes, 25 of 34, 423 yards, three touchdowns, and that one interception like I talked about. You know who was the the player that no one saw coming, Hardman. <laughs> Mecole Hardman, folks, scored three touchdowns. You're saying three? I said three. Two rushing, one receiving. The man played. This is why the Chiefs were okay with trading Tyreek Hill. They knew that they could get multiple assets and playmakers for Patrick Mahomes, and they had Mecole Hardman already on their roster. And Mecole obviously is not... Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill is in a class of his own with that speed and the way to go catch the ball. No one is like Tyreek Hill. I'm just saying that. The Chiefs can win without Tyreek Hill, and Tyreek Hill can win without the Chiefs. Let's just get that out of the way. But Miko Hardman is like a, what, a point two slower than Tyreek. I think Tyreek runs a 4-4, four, 4-3, four, four, Miko runs a 4-5. So they're right around each other with speed. The problem is Miko is not the best receiver out there. He he doesn't usually bring down those high point balls like Tyreek does. But when you use him like the Chiefs did last week with the sweeps and the jet passes, he will find the end zone just like he did. 
Now, let's move on to the other two players that had big games themselves. Juju Smith-Schuster. Let's talk about that man. He also had seven receptions, 124 yards, and a touchdown. Marquez Valdez-Scantley joined in the parade. Three receptions, 111 yards. So that's two players over 100 receiving yards. And we're not even to Travis Kelsey yet, folks. Travis Kelsey, six receptions and 98 yards. So the Chiefs were two yards away from having three receivers over 100 yards. So that's how good the offense was moving. And I was literally going to talk about how the Chiefs don't need a wide receiver. They don't need a playmaker on offense. And they need to go get defensive players. But guess what? Right before the show started, the Chiefs made a trade. I mean, literally 10 minutes before I went on the air, the Chiefs made a trade. And you know who they traded for? And I think it's 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 it's, it's a win-win for both sides here. The Chiefs traded to the Giants a third-round pick, which is a comp- compensatory third-round pick, which means when Poole left the Chiefs organization to become the GM at the Bears, we got two two third-round picks from the Bears. Well, we used one of those third-round picks and a sixth-round pick to trade to the Giants for Cardarius Toney. And you're thinking to yourself, Cardarius Toney. Yes. Now, Cardarius Toney, it's an interesting player. He has speed. He has the jukes. He has it all. The problem is, can he stay healthy? And will he want to be on the field? We're taking a risk here by taking it in someone that has only played 12 career games in 24 games that he's been able to play in. So, he's played 50% of the games that he could because of injury. Also, I also like the trade in a sense for the Giants. You're getting more picks, obviously. You're getting a third and a six for a guy that you did get in the first round. So, there's that. So, you're... You're not getting a first round. You knew you were going to get a first round, but the Chiefs give you two picks, a third, and a six for next year's draft. But with the Chiefs, it's more like they've taken risk on players before, and it it, it, it usually works out in Andy Reid and Brett Veach era. But here's the thing. What if... I think there's something more. What if Tony isn't injured he is injured right now with the hamstring but what if he's been playing like that injury bug where i'm injured but i don't want to play because i want to be traded from the giants because he's told everyone he does not want to be on the giants so what if he's using the fake injury bug to get out of there and so now he's going to come in and he's not injured really well that's fine if he's he's faked it but if it's real it's still worth the chance he's a very high risk player because he has the potential to be someone very usable and creative in Andy Reid's offense. Plus, his salary cap is not much, folks. Like, it takes up, I think, less than 2% of the salary cap of the Chiefs for the next two years, and we have a player option on him to follow in, in three years. So, we have him secured for the next three years. Can he develop and be someone? That will be the question coming through now the other thing about this team this game was the Chiefs went at Bosa and you're like what do you mean well obviously Nick Bosa is a great ball player one of the best outside linemen defensive ends whatever you want to call it in the game the Chiefs went at him when they would do the jet sweeps or the uh, reverses whatever you want to call it with hard men they would go right at him they wouldn't even block him they said you know what We know you're good, but we're going to let you go by and see if you can react fast enough to stop him. And he didn't. There was a screen play. Third and 20. We run a screen right at Bosa. We act like we're going to block him. We roll out and give it to the screen to McKinnon. McKinnon gains 30 yards. So they went at Bosa. Sure, we know you're the best player on defense, but we're not going to block you. We're going to see, we're going to play mind games with you, and it worked. So the Chiefs win 44-23. Now let's move on to a game that's being questioned. Bears beat the Patriots, which is crazy in itself, 33-14. But the biggest question is, what is Bill Belichick doing? What is Bill doing, folks? He's usually never like this. Usually he has a game plan. And I get his game plan is to see which quarterback's good. Mac Jones or Zappi. Zappi, eh. 
And Mac Jones, we know what we're going to get with Mac Jones. Mac Jones is a good Alabama player. You get it. Maybe he was successful because of the playmakers and recruits at Alabama. But the problem is, is Jones is coming off an injury. You only give him six passes. He only completes three of them for 13 yards, and he has the interception. I get that. But Zappi, on the other hand, goes 14 of 22, 185 yards with a TD and two interceptions. Here's the thing. I think Bill Belichick, for the first time ever, was listening to, what would we say, the crowd or the talk outside of the football team because he went to Zappi once the crowd started yelling, Zappi, 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 we want Zappi. They all were yelling that. And I think he finally gave in. And I know he said he was going to do, he was going to give both quarterbacks a chance in this game, but he really didn't give Jones a chance at all. And I get Zappi did what he did when he went out there. He got a touchdown. He got two touchdowns. But after that, he didn't look good. So why didn't you go back to Jones? Like, that's what I want to know from Bill. Like, okay, I get it. You went to Zappi. He got two touchdowns. But after those two touchdowns on his first two drives, he couldn't do anything. So why didn't you go back to Mac? Like, give Mac another chance. I get he hasn't been what you thought he would be, but you only give him six passes coming off an injury. Obviously, he's going to be a little rusty. Like, come on. All right, let's move on to this. I want to talk about the uh, Packers and Buccaneers. Both have Hall of Fame quarterbacks on their team. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. We know that. Both of them lost. Wow, crazy, right? Packers lose to Commanders. Bucks lose to the Panthers. Insane. Which team is more concerning? Like, which team are you more concerned about? And I'll say this. Packers are in a deeper situation because of their division. The Vikings, they're taking off. With the Buccaneers, you got really no one to compete against. You have the Falcons, Saints, and Panthers. Like, that division is probably the worst in the NFL. Let's just be real, okay? It's that or the AFC South. I can't figure it out. But so, but what's the what's the problem with both teams? Well, Green Bay, they can't find a run game. They won't run the ball. I mean, you only run 12 times and throw the ball 35. You're 0 for 6 on third down and 9 penalties. That's not going to help. With Tampa Bay, they're throwing the ball 49 times. So that's a problem when your quarterback is so old. I know he's Tom Brady, the GOAT, whatever. You're 2 for 12 on third down against the Panthers, and you were giving up 6.9 yards per play. So you have to fix the defense for the Buccaneers, and the Green Bay's got to find an offensive scheme to run the ball because, believe it or not, Aaron Jones, the running back, is the best player on that offense. they got to get him the ball more. That's all I'm going to say about that. So I do believe the Buccaneers are going to make the playoffs. The Packers on the other end, they're going to have to fight for it because their division is much stronger than the NFC South. All right, let's move on to the power rankings. All right, number 10, Miami Dolphins. Weren't ranked. They win. They get Tua back. That's why I think they're going to be good. I get it. Tua is Tua, but he has those weapons. Waddle and Hill, Gasecki, the tight end, Mostert. So I think the Miami Dolphins will be creeping back up. Number nine, for the first time this season, New York Jets. Not on there. They're 5-2. They outscoring their opponents 51-7 in the fourth quarter. But the problem with them is they've faced four backup quarterbacks this season already. Wow. Crazy, right? All right, number eight, Baltimore Ravens. All three of the teams so far weren't ranked last week. This week they are. So, eight Baltimore Ravens. They've had a double-digit lead in every game, but they're four and three. Yeah, not good, right? I wouldn't think so. Also, they have been outscored by 46 points in the fourth quarter. So, what are we talking about here? Well, the Jets outscored their opponents in the fourth, while the Ravens are getting outscored. So, that's the problem right there. I just think Baltimore is better than New York, the Jets right now, just by a slayer because of the quarterback. Number seven is the Dallas Cowboys. They fall down one. I get that. Listen, they won. I know. It wasn't pretty. You knew Dak was going to have rust on him, but they won. But they fall just because I think Cincinnati's better than him. I know the Cowboys beat Cincinnati earlier this year, but Cincinnati, who is ranked six, is getting better. Their offensive line is getting stronger and getting better, and they still have not given up a touchdown in the second half. Insane. So... That is crazy. Cincinnati at 6-5. New York Giants. The 6-1 G-men, folks. They have four fourth-quarter comebacks. They are five. They have five out of six comebacks. So, six games. 
They've won five of them big comebacks. Insane. Crazy. Four Minnesota Vikings, they had a bye. But listen, they have 59 points in the final four minutes before halftime. That's first in the NFL. So there's something for you. Those are key plays, key moments. And then number three, Kansas City Chiefs. I'm keeping them there. I know you can move them up, but I'm not. Listen, their defense has 19 sacks, tied for six in the NFL. They are doing better getting to the quarterback like Jerry Sneed, Nick Bolton. They're using some of their secondary players, linebackers, to get to him. But Chris Jones is there. Frank Clark is suspended two games. That'll be weary to see what happens. But Carl Loftus has been playing well as a rookie. So I keep Kansas City at three. And my top two don't change. Eagles two, one, Bills. Those two were on by. I'm not going to switch them. Just keep them the same. They're great, both of them. Right now, it's literally Bills, Eagles, Chiefs, then a huge cliff to drop off, then you get to someone else. Like, that's how it is. The three best teams, Bills, Chiefs, and Eagles, those are the three best. Then it's a fight for mediocrity or who can try to upset these three teams. It feels like the Chiefs and Bills are on destination for a playoff rematch. And it might be in Buffalo, but it might not be. All we know is it's going to be a rematch and it's going to be a dang good one, folks. All right, let's watch some let's look at some games to watch. This week, I'll be honest, there's not very much, but that probably means there's going to be chaos, folks. That's what it means, okay? So, we're going to start with the 3:30 games. I got two of them. I got two games to watch and then my upset. That's how that's how uh, this weekend's games are. 3.30 p.m., the San Francisco 49ers, that are 3-4, and four, are a 1.5-point favorite versus the Los Angeles Rams, who are 3-3. Three and three. Listen, I don't know why the 49ers are favored. Listen, I'll talk about it. The 49ers, they are probably the best team with talent in the NFC when fully healthy. But my problem right now isn't their injuries. Well, obviously, they have injuries. My problem is... is they're coming, the Rams are coming off a bye. They're going to have a scheme set up, and I think McVay is going to find a way to put it on the 49ers. So give me the Rams to cover and outright win this game against the 49ers. I'll do 27-24. The other 3.30 p.m. game I'm looking at is when the New York Giants, 6-1, head to the Seattle Seahawks, who are 4-3 and, and a three-point favorite. Listen, last week I told you the upset was going to be Seattle over L.A., the Chargers. And guess what? It happened. This week, I don't... I could say it's an upset, but I... I, I because of record-wise, but Seattle's favorite. I like Seattle to win this game. I think Seattle's different than most teams the Giants have played when it comes to the fourth quarter. They can run the ball. Kenneth Walker, Geno Smith, DK is out. But I still think the Seahawks can win. I like the Seahawks to cover. Give me Seahawks 24-20 over the Giants. And then my upset of the week. I, I, I went crazy on this one, folks. I did. I did. I, I can't believe I'm going crazy. And no, and no, it's not what you think. It's not the Packers over Bills. I'm not that stubborn, okay, folks? Listen, my upset's the 12 p.m. slot. Miami Dolphins, they're four and three. They're three and a half point favored over the one and five Detroit Lions. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because of the kneecaps. I don't know. Maybe they have me going. But Detroit has played well. They just lost close games. I'm taking Detroit to cover and win. I don't know why, but I like Detroit to cover and win. Give me the Lions to win 27. 24. That's what I've got. So I got the Rams beating the 49ers, the Seahawks beating the Giants, and the Lions upsetting the Dolphins. I know, crazy one, right? Yeah, it is. Okay. All right. So let's answer the trivial question, folks. What team in what year was the last one to beat Andy Reid out of a bye? All right. Here's your answer. The year was 2017, 2017, and believe it or not, it was the New York Giants. Yeah, the G-Men, the team that's 6-1 this year, beat the Chiefs after a bye last 
was in 2017. They beat the Chiefs 12 to 9. 12 to 9. Alex Smith there, folks. 12 to 9 in overtime. It was in the midst of a four-game losing streak for the Chiefs, and it so happened to keep going after the bye as well. Well, all right there, folks. That will do it for today's episode. Listen, I've got to tell you something special. Something special's brewing. You want to be here listening next week on Thursday at 12 p.m. 12.15, we'll say. 12.15. Listen, you've got to listen. I've got a special guest a one-on-one interview with UCM's starting quarterback, Cedric Case, right here on my show, Just Talking Sports. Come listen at 12.15 next Thursday, folks. You don't want to miss it. And if you don't want to miss an episode, be here at 12.15 every Thursday for the rest of the semester. And listen to me, JT Noah, on Just Talking Sports on UCM The Beat. All right, folks, I'll see you next week. I'll listen to you. You guys have a great one. And like I said, be ready 12-15 next Thursday, one-on-one with starting UCM quarterback Cedric Case. All right, folks, I'll talk to you later. Y'all have a good one, all right? Peace out.